This podcast is being brought to you in part by the veteran-founded Hero Soap Company, located in Phoenix, Arizona. In today's environment, we must be aware of the products we apply to our skin. As a two-time cancer survivor, I cannot afford to take chances, and I use these products myself. The soaps will leave you feeling clean and refreshed. All the products made by the Hero Soap Company are made in the United States with the highest quality ingredients sourced from companies in the United States whenever possible. The products are made in small batches to ensure high quality and contain premium essential oils and fragrance. All Hero Soaps are created without synthetic colorants, parabens, and sulfates that are irritating to the eyes, skin, mouth, and lungs, and are cruelty-free, meaning these products are not tested on animals. Each 5-ounce bar of soap is handmade in Phoenix, Arizona, and the body wash is available in 8 ounces with such refreshing scents as the woods, tea tree, lavender, the fields, bourbon, lime, the pines, and arctic. You will absolutely love this soap. Please also check out their gear for sale. All the products are reasonably priced. Being veteran-founded, the company understands the dedication and sacrifice that each family makes to serve their country. A portion of sales is donated back to charities that are focused on helping veterans and our first responders. Over 1,200 bars have been sent to our deployed troops. Please check out their website, HeroSoapCompany.com, for pricing and a detailed description of all the products. When ordering, use the code RAP for a 10% discount. The company information will be listed in the podcast notes and featured on the podcast website, Facebook group, page, and the podcast Instagram. Welcome, everyone. It's a wrap with rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. Before we start, I would like to thank all of our listeners, sponsors, and supporters that have helped to make this podcast so successful. The podcast is being heard in all 50 states, all provinces of Canada, and over 45 countries around the world. The podcast has been ranked by Feedspot as one of the top 35 overcoming adversity podcasts on the web in that category, and ranking is determined by traffic, social media followers, and content freshness. Please visit our website. It's a wrapwithwrap.com for all the episodes, podcast logo merchandise, of which a portion of all merchandise sales is donated to cancer, lymphedema, and rare diseases research and other information regarding the podcast. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Wes Michael. Wes has been a market research industry veteran for over 40 years and has over 20 years experience in the healthcare marketing research field. Wes earned his MBA from University of Chicago, Booth School of Business, and a BA in English from the University of Pennsylvania. 
2013, West launched Rare Patient Voice based on a novel approach to building a market research panel, one that enables patients and caregivers to share their voices with the researchers and companies developing products to improve patients' lives. He structured the company on the core values of being a good resource for patients, a good partner to clients, a good employer to staff, and a good citizen in our community. Wes has seen the company grow, expanding from the United States to Canada, the UK, Spain, Italy, France, and Germany, completing thousands of projects and providing customized service to hundreds of clients. Rare Patient Voice provides patients and caregivers an opportunity to participate in all types of research, including market research, health economics outcomes, real-world evidence, user experience, human factor studies, and clinical trials. Rare Patient Voice has over 100,000 patients and caregivers across more than 700 diseases, both rare and non-rare. It is the hope of Wes that Rare Patient Voice's work can help the lives of patients and caregivers who are able to participate in these studies and of those that come after. Welcome, Wes, to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here to tell us about Rare Patient Voice and answer our questions. We want to educate our interested listeners on the participation process. Well, thanks, Ron. I was looking forward to this, so um, this, will, this will be great. Awesome. We're so glad to have you. Let's start at the beginning. How and when did you come up with the idea for starting Rare Patient Voice? Oh, wow. So that goes back um, like 25 years ago. I just gotten into healthcare market research. I was a market researcher doing Wheaties and Cheerios and spices and things like that. Those are those are great things, but it's not like life and death, right? It's not like right. I got into the healthcare uh, side and a couple things. One, I noticed uh, the obvious patients are passionate. It's yeah, again, it's their life and death. It's their more important when it's their kid, right? It's their kid's life and death. But they really want to share their stories, even if it might not help them. It might help those coming after us. So I, I saw that these people were so passionate about it, but it was tough to find people, patients, especially those with rare diseases. Um, and then um, a client came to us. We, we had I was working for this market research company in the hemophilia space. And there's only a few thousand hemophilia patients in the whole country. And they said, hey, can you build us a panel patients and caregivers and then we want to learn we really want to learn what they have to think we want to do surveys we want to do interviews um we want to you know get the voice of that patient so it, it, we did it we worked we went to the hemophilia conference we set up a table we gave out um i remember giving out little balsa wood airplanes uh little, little gifts and stuff to attract people and it wasn't even online it was paper and pencil and people signed up and it worked they did a lot of surveys and interviews and they really learned what people thought and every year we'd go back to the big national hemophilia conference, invite more people to join. But one year I went back to that conference and somebody from a different pharma company, different company in the hemophilia came up to me and said, I hear you have this panel. Can we access it? And I was like, no, different company paid for it. Right. But right. it got me thinking, wait a minute, why not create a group of folks that aren't beholden to any one company They can take part in all sorts of uh, surveys and interviews? Well, I had that idea for many years, right? I didn't do anything about it. I had to be forced. I, I I I lost a job at one company. Um, well, I didn't quite lose it. They the guy was running short of money, and he said, "Hey, how about if I don't pay you for the next three months, and see, we'll see how things go." Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to get paid. Maybe there's something else I'd rather do. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I started it. I mean, I, so I had to be pushed, and I started. And guess what? I started with hemophilia because I I'd done it before, right? I knew it. Right. And now, as you said, we're up to hundreds of diseases and stuff. But who knew? It just uh, 
I had that little idea and I said, I think there's something there. And, wow. Uh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. What were your initial hopes and goals for the company? Well, you know, at the beginning, I didn't know. I didn't know whether it would just be hemophilia and it would just be me. And maybe we could, maybe I could make a living at it. I didn't know, but I was hoping to, Hey, let's, let's, let's give rare patients, rare disease patients a chance. And I would go to walks with uh, MS walks around the country. I went to and sign people up and I would take my kids on weekends because, you know, these, you know, you get involved in these walks and things, right. They're generally a Saturday or Sunday morning and um, people come and gather and, and then they walk and they raise some money and, so I would, I took my daughter to Albuquerque and she, she always said, Oh, I want to move to Albuquerque. And my son loves Chicago and he visits the firehouses there and stuff. So, um, I didn't know how that would work, but so I was just, let, let's see what happens. And now again, now we're 10 years later and, and thank God I'm not the one doing all that work anymore. All these wonderful people <laughs> are doing it. And we've, we've done what 8,000 some projects. So, wow, that's a lot. So what, what, Wes, what was the biggest obstacle you encountered in those first few years and how did you overcome it? Wow. One of the, and probably a lot of people with small businesses have this, it's like, it's a balancing act between you don't want to hire a million people. And uh, if you don't think you're going to be able to keep them, right. You don't know how the business is going to go, but you have to get the work done. I, I had a rule I made for myself. If I'm working to midnight every night, it's time to hire somebody. <laughs> so after a year i'm like okay and i hired this guy and, and he was great and then another six months it was midnight again i hired and i remember it's funny this uh they're, they're all still working with us and the second guy i hired i said dave um you know we have a lot more business now but i don't know if it's going to continue i mean and if it doesn't i have to let you go he says i get it i get it so he jokes with me now we keep hiring new people and i say he's like we've never we've never had it <laughs> we've never had that problem knock on wood um, yeah. that, that's, you know, it's always when you're, when you're new, it's, and, and, and the, the proverbial cash flow because you sell all this work, but then you got to wait for people to pay you, you know? And we right. made a point when we do us, we can get into this, but when we, we do a survey, we want to pay the patients right away. We get a check out to them before we get paid. So, um, so, you know, as you can see the cash flow issues there, we're paying out before our clients are paying us. So it takes a little, like, I hope this works out. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, again, ten years later, it, it, it did. So faith was was well placed, I guess. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, that's a big risk when you start paying out before you get paid. Hey, I took I, I took my you know at the time I didn't think it was a big risk. I guess you know it's rose colored glasses or something. But I took my I didn't have to take any money from anybody, but I took money from all my savings and four hundred one k and stuff and. Uh, and put it in. And uh, again, it turned out to be a good investment, but it could have been like, oh, sorry, honey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially if somebody you know doesn't pay. Yeah. So how is uh, this private medical information? People are being asked to relinquish yeah. to be in the studies. How is how is all this information being kept confidential? That, that's key. That's key. And I always tell people, if if it's not, we're out of business because nobody's gonna. You know, this is important stuff to people, and it needs to be. It needs to be private. So there's a, there's a lot of things that we do. Um, when uh, when people sign up with us, we ask a minimal amount of info because a lot of people think, oh, you have all this information. Now we want to have enough just so that when we get a survey request, we we know who to send it to. So we want to know people's disease. And, you know, the usual age and gender and, and things like that, but just enough so that we can say, hey, here's a study you may be interested in. And um, 
so 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 one thing we, we we don't keep a lot of that stuff now everything we do have or when we work with clients who ask more detailed questions there's all sorts of things we use this special kind of um portal we don't we never put anything in an email that has that information there's these portals of the hipaa compliant hipaa you you know your, your listeners probably realize is a, the act that makes sure everybody's data is kept confidential it's the reason when you go into the doctor um, they don't just, you can't just tell your, anybody that asks your information, right? You got to sign all these forms and give them permission. So we use right. a special portal to, to, to move that data around. So it's never just sitting out in an email. We just went through this huge process. It's an audit, audited process. And it's, it's got a complicated name. It's called ISO 27001. It's a security process. And, and you really have to prove that you're doing everything right so we went through this process and we got accredited so we're very we're very proud of that so there's so many things we have to do you can't you have to have all the computers set up a certain way you have to have uh this multi-factor authentication um there's so many so many little things that we we were doing a lot of but this forced us to make sure we had everything buttoned up such that um you know nobody can can just get on we can't use any flash drives because bad things can happen. So there's all sorts of things that, that we do to keep everything confidential. And, um, and we don't do anything without people's permission. We don't share any of their information until they say, this is fine. And then over time, people get it. It works well, well because they say, uh, knock on wood, that we've never had any issues or breaches and people, people trust us with that. But that's, 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 our, that's our most important asset, right? The trust of people. Because right. you don't want your health, your health, that you can't have it out there. It's not nobody else's business. So I've read where rare patient voice really doesn't know the answers. Yeah. Yeah. To, of the client and the client that, that, that wants the study done, doesn't know the patient's identity. Yeah. It's, it's it kind of reminds me, right? Like you, to set off the atomic bomb, right? You have to have several, <laughs> several people. So same thing. So when we do a survey, for example, the, there's a special link. Everybody gets an individual link and their data goes to a client. The client has no idea who the person is. We give everybody a, a, a secret, you know, long ID code. Right. And then we know who did it because we pay them. So we know right. John Smith did it at this address and we send him a check, but we don't see any of his answers. And the client knows that one, 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 five or whatever did a study. They don't know who it is or, or, or anything like that. So really, yeah, it's, it's a really good um, uh, fail safe, if you will, to make sure people are protected. Okay. So everybody out there, when you sign up for these studies, uh, this is all confidential. Oh, yeah, you don't, yeah. you don't I mean, have that's, to that's worry. That's our number one uh, thing. Right. Rare know, patient voice is gone. The extra link to be accredited. So it's all HIPAA. Uh, approved and, and you don't have to worry about any of your information getting leaked out. Now, Wes, what changes have you seen in the healthcare market research field over the past 10 years? I think people have, um, you know, it used to be people would do a lot of in-person interviews, you know, focus groups and interviews. So they'd invite you in to a facility down in the middle of a, a city or sometimes in the suburbs and, um, and, and do research that way. Well, couple of things, COVID happened, right? All of a sudden it's like, don't be coming in, especially people, right? right. Compromised immune systems, they don't need to be, they don't need to be sitting with other other folks or even coming downtown. So people continue to a, a trend to, wait a minute, like we're doing, what can you do on Zoom? You don't have to be there in person. They used to do phone interviews, but now it's like, hey, might as well do Zoom, see the person as well as, as hear what they have to say and show them, show the materials that you want to read a description of a product, you can show it to them. 
rather than read it. So the big thing there is so, so, so much has gone remote and that's been a great boon for, you know, so people outside of New York and Chicago can share their voice, right? Somebody in the middle of Montana can be involved in research where they never were, were invited in the past. So that's one thing. Another thing, researchers, it's a very competitive field, all these uh, market research companies, because they, they, they're selling to all the pharma and biotech and device companies, and they want to show some new, new methods, uh, interesting ways of doing things. So they'll send uh, a camera crew to people's homes rather than just talk to them. They'll say, let's go into their home with, of course, with their permission and see how their life is from day to day, right? Let's see how they use our product. Let's see what they do. Cause that's how companies get ideas. How can we give them programs that might help them? Uh, Cause they actually see them. So companies are doing more interesting things like that. They may even do things like um, rather than ask, just ask questions. They may say, Hey, here's a little homework assignment, make a collage or think of th things like that. So they can get underneath the, the surface, right? Think, see how people are thinking. So there's a lot of things companies are doing now that they weren't doing nearly as much in the past. Unfortunately, they're still boring online surveys. I like to say, I get invited to do things for banking. I'm like, oh, this is just boring. I, all these things, you know, so anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, the, these new things that they're, they're doing sounds exciting. Yeah. Now, uh, Rare Patient Voice uh, is seeking patients with rare diseases, but you're also asking for non-rare pa right. uh, disease patients. Can you explain to us? Yeah, that? yeah. Um, when I started, I just assumed that um, I, I knew there was a difficulty in finding the rare patients, as I said, right? But I assumed there was no uh, difficulty in finding the, the non-rare, the, the people with diabetes or anxiety or asthma or whatever it might be. Right. And, uh, but then a couple of things happened. One thing is, guess what? Most people don't have one condition, right? You might have back to hemophilia, but you may with that have anxiety or depression or diabetes or whatever it might be. And, and so people would say, wait a minute, should I put those other conditions down? Or they might say, hey, I want to sign up. My friend here has high blood pressure. Blood pressure. Can she sign up? And we're like, I hate to say no to people, but I don't know if we're ever going to need them. Well, just as people were asking those questions, some client came to us and said, hey, do you have diabetes? Do you have asthma? Do you? And we're like, okay, we're not saying no to anybody. We're, we're, we're going to let, let everybody sign up. And I thought, well, we still may not get studies in those areas because these big market research panels that, that you know, that research Cheerios and Chevys or whatever, they're going to have enough people with the common diseases. But I was wrong, wrong again. People come to us all the time for the, for the non-rare. So we're happy to give everybody a voice. We didn't want to change the name, though. We have rare patient voice because, you know, the focus is on where we think about it. So we added a little tagline. Actually, you probably can't see it. He's on that little zebra behind me. It says, also non-rare. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> so saw that. In fact, that, that's every that, that's everyone. But, yeah, I had never anticipated that. But, hey, why should we say no if people want to do it and the clients are asking? Who are we to say no? So, Wes, can you explain to our audience the process of applying for a study? Sure. So there, there's there's basically two parts. First, there's there's apply, uh, applying to get on, on the panel. When we try to make it as easy as possible, we go to a lot of events in person, right, where people can sign up and, and, and sign, sign a form and do it. We love to see people in person because that's a two-way street. They see that we're real people, right? We're not just some guy stalking you on the internet. And then we see they're real people because get, I didn't believe this, but there's a ton of fraud in market research. There could be a bot 
in Thailand doing pretending to be people doing surveys to get three bucks or something. Let's break away for a moment to address those men and women over 45 struggling with knee pain to alert you how you can learn to cut your knee pain in half without harmful drugs or invasive surgeries. Todd Kaliskis is an injury prevention expert who specializes using Eastern and Western holistic practices to speed up the body's natural healing processes. Over the past 10 years, he has impacted the health of over 100,000 people through his online health publications. His clients include everyday people, professional athletes, U.S. military, and even nursing home residents. If you are over the age of 45, your doctor might have already told you to manage your knee pain and arthritis by gobbling up drugs like ibuprofen and acetaminophen. You may have even gotten injections or a full knee replacement. New research is revealing there are three main causes of joint pain, cellular inflammation, postural misalignment, and cartilage deterioration. The CDC reported that joint pain and arthritis is now one of the top chronic conditions leading to death and disability. According to research from the U.S. National Library of Medicine, National Institutes of Health, there is a simple exercise that can decrease your knee pain by 58%. The participants in the study did one simple isometric exercise a few times a week and saw a huge reduction in pain. Isometric exercises are a simple, effective, and an easy exercise whereby you increase the tension in the muscles without moving your joints. It gives your body the ability to use its muscles without ever moving and allows your knee to release your pain for good. This easy-to-perform and painless exercise successfully outperformed the drugs and pills in both pain relief and knee joint function. Now, Todd has collected the most effective variations of isometrics that anyone can do no matter if you have had knee surgery, struggling with grinding knee joints daily, or simply have that nagging achiness you want to eliminate. His greatest techniques have been combined into a simple and easy-to-follow five-minute ritual called the feel-good knees method. It is an easy-to-follow method that only takes five minutes a day to do. The program is so quick and easy, you will be shocked by how fast you will be free of knee joint pain. Here is what's included in the method, a companion program giving you a visual guide how to perform the exercises, a pain reduction tracker to measure your pain reduction progress, and a video library to learn the perfect form to perform the exercises. If you order now, you will get two free gifts, a postural alignment guide and a one-minute rejuvenation finisher guide. The price of the method is affordable as Todd's goal is to reach 1 million people. The cost to you is $15 for the digital version and $15 for the printed version, plus $7.95 shipping and handling. There is also a 60-day money-back guarantee. Please refer to the link in the podcast notes to order and for detailed information on the course. So anyway, it's great. We see people, nobody's coming to an event, right? Just for fun. They're, they're there because they have the disease and they're, you know, it's a right. So, oh, it's the process, right? So right. Well, that's one way people sign up. Now they can also sign up online. We, you know, the rarepatientvoice.com and it asks you questions. Again, we don't, like to ask too many, but if you have more several diseases, you kind of go through it several times. You'll say what the disease is and when you when when you're diagnosed and how severe it might be. A few key questions like that, and then um, our folks, because of that whole fraud issue, they have they go through like person by person, making sure everything makes sense. And if they're if they if they're uh, questionable, they'll call people up. And believe me, you know when you talk you talk to folks all the time. When you talk to somebody, you know in a minute, right? If they're for real, 
Oh yeah. Oh, I go to Dr. Smith and I have it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Lady, I know you're real. So, yeah. um, so, so that's the process to get on the panel. Now, once you're on the panel, we have, again, we have your, uh, your conditions, the diseases and conditions you may have. And then we get requests all the time from, from market research companies who in turn are working for biotech and pharmaceutical and academic and device companies, everything and anything. We get requests all the time and we match it up. So, so if somebody comes to us for a lupus study, we'll say, oh, who in the panel has signed up for a lupus study? How many do we need? And we'll send an email out to folks. We like to use email. Uh, more and more, there's, we were able to use text for things. I know I like check my texts more than my emails, but we don't call because that's kind of intrusive. Who answers the phone now anyway, right? Right. So we'll send an email and we like to make it as simple and clear as possible. We'll put right in the headline, <clears throat> for example, um, 30 minute lupus study online, $50 reward. You know, that, so people right off the bat, they say, how much time? Is it something I might be interested in? And how much do we pay? Because we pay people at the rate of $120 per hour. And, um, and two dollars a minute. Yeah, exactly. And we paid over $10 million since we got started. So um, it's kind of a little Robin Hood action out there to get money out, yeah. to the, out to the folks. So we'll send an email out and people, if they're busy that week, they don't have to, they don't have to take part. That's, you know, it's all totally voluntary. Um, but if they're interested, boom, there's usually a, a link people click on. And if it's a survey, you click on it and you'll answer a few questions, you go right into the survey. If it's a phone or a Zoom interview, you'll answer a few questions. They'll tell you whether you qualify or not, and then they'll schedule a time for you to for you to choose to, to do an interview. So we try to make it as, sim- as simple as possible, obviously, because we want people to, to, to have it like that. Well, and then when people are done, as soon as the study is done, the client, we confirm with the client, okay, these 10 people did it. They'll give us the code numbers and we'll, we'll figure out who they, and we send their checkout right away. Cause as I said, we want people to get rewarded as soon as possible. We want people to like us, right? So they'll do the study the next time. Absolutely. Now for the people out there, I believe if I'm not mistaken, you, you have to be 16 or older. to participate. Yeah. There's some, there's some uh, rules. We try to be, you know, uh, air on the side of um, protecting people uh, 16 or older. Now, some folks with their parents' permission can be invited to study, but in those cases, we usually go through the parents. The parents, parents can sign up as caregivers. If they're, if they're, you know, if it's a child, they're going to be going to the doctor, they're going to be helping with medical decisions and so on. So they sign up as a caregiver. And sometimes there's studies where they actually want to talk to, 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 to teens or whatever, younger than that, but with the parents' permission, or they can both be on the same phone, that kind of thing like that. But once they get uh, hit that age, they can sign up in their in their own in their own regard and, and take part and the parents can still be involved as a caregiver and caregivers could be a spouse. Uh, it could be an adult, you know, it's like an Alzheimer's patient, right? You might be the, uh, an adult daughter of somebody with Alzheimer's and you're a caregiver. So uh, we're always welcoming caregivers because so many of the, uh, our clients want to talk to them, right? Not just the patients because some diseases too, the patients aren't able to, there's some severe epilepsies and things, right? Where the, patients aren't able to, and, and they want to get the caregivers. Others where both of them are welcome to a study because they really want to get the opinions of everybody. So each study would say, hey, we're looking for caregivers or patients only. Yeah, yeah. It'll, okay, it'll, so, so there would be a yeah. And sometimes what we'll do is if a study is specifically, say, looking for patients, we yeah. may send it out to the caregivers too and, and tell them that, say, hey, you may not qualify, but please pass this on to the, to the patient you care for. Maybe they're interested in it. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Now, can you explain to us 
and I know this happens, there's reasons why even though someone has the disease state, uh, he or she may be turned down for the survey yeah. or study. So somebody, say, has lupus, Right. And they sign up and they go, oh, you know, this is great. I'm going to make, you know, 60 bucks for a half an hour's work. And then they, and then they say, hey, you know, no, sorry, uh, you don't qualify. Can you explain to our audience why that? Yeah, and that's happen? probably the, one of the most frustrating things for folks. What it is, is if the, the companies that are sponsoring these studies have very specific needs of, uh, and they can vary. For example, say they they want people that are taking a certain drug. Well, we can't tell you ahead of time, hey, we're just looking for people with a certain drug. Uh, I mean, we might want to, but that could open us up to fraud, right? Oh, yeah, I'm taking that. So so sometimes we can't tell you everything. We certainly can tell you the, the general category. So yeah. there's certain specific things. They might want a certain age. They might want people on a certain medication. They might want um, people with certain subtypes or certain um, symptoms. Sometimes they might want somebody exactly like you. But guess what? They're doing 10 interviews and they already got three people just like that and they want to get different people. So there's various reasons that these companies um, have their qualifications and, and it is it can be frustrating to people. What we, what we offer is a couple things. We say, if you don't qualify, please ask the project manager. They may be able to tell you why not. May not change anything, but it makes people feel better. That makes them feel like they weren't like discriminated against, right? Though, oh, I see. Uh, you know, it was it was this particular issue, and and the other thing is sometimes people say I didn't qualify, and you're taking my data, and I'm not getting. And like, no, if you don't qualify, nobody touches any of your data. Nobody sees any of that. That wouldn't be right. If they were using that, that means you qualified to some degree, and 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 we would put we would, you know, we we'll use the term complete. You would be a complete, and you would get compensated. So. We're very strict about that, um, but it is it is a frustrating thing. People want to participate, right? They want their voices heard. They say, "I have this disease. Why didn't they want me?" It's like, yeah. well, there's you should, there's, you should some of these some of these things they they call it a screener or or inclusion exclusion criteria. Sometimes they run pages and pages. It's like, oh my goodness, it's not just hey, do you have lupus? Yeah. No. So there's there's certain uh, parameters that have yes. to be met, and so we don't want people. Uh, getting frustrated. Uh, right. I, I appreciate people. Give it a try. We always say, look, the, the, those those initial questions to see whether you're in or out. They- the podcast is so happy and proud to have Blue Sky CBD as one of our sponsors and supporters. At Blue Sky CBD, they know that the highest quality CBD starts from the seed. Blue Sky partners with sustainable, responsible farms for superior hemp plants to extract their CBD and other healthful phytonutrients. Each of Blue Sky's products contain high concentrations of CBD for maximum impact, and Blue Sky offers some of the lowest cost per milligram CBD on the market. All Blue Sky's products are THC-free and are tested by a third-party laboratory for potency and purity. All this has made Blue Sky one of the only brands trusted by healthcare professionals across the United States. As the demand for CBD and its therapeutic potential have grown rapidly worldwide, it's difficult to know which products you can trust. At Blue Sky CBD, they don't just sell their products, they use their products. Blue Sky CBD proudly shares testimonials of their loved ones who use these products. 
Blue Sky CBD guarantees the potency and purity of each and every product they sell. Blue Sky tests their products three times. First, the plant is tested, next the isolate, and last, the final product to ensure each product batch meets Blue Sky's high standards. A copy of the certificate of analysis is linked below each product description online. The Blue Sky CBD website contains client testimonials, including a case study for each testimonial from people just like you regarding people dealing with severe anxiety and insomnia, high blood pressure, pain management, headache, rheumatoid arthritis and spondylitis, and endocrine balance. Blue Sky even makes the product pet love for our canine and feline family members. There is some confusion between medical marijuana, CBDs that contain THC, and the THC-free hemp CBDs within states. Blue Sky CBD uses CBD derived from hemp that is THC-free, which is drug-free and can be sold everywhere legally. Blue Sky CBD wants you to feel confident with your purchase and offers you excellent customer service. If you are not satisfied with their products, you may request a refund of the full purchase price within 30 days of the product received date. When ordering, please use the podcast link to receive 20% off your initial purchase. The link and website information will be listed in the podcast notes. It should really only be about five minutes. So it's an investment of time you have to make to see if you're going to qualify. Right, right. If it's longer than that, we say you got to compensate people anyway. So yeah, take, try, try, to, try to do that. And then over time, you'll see. Um, and and you, you should qualify from time to time unless you've got some different type of the disease that people aren't interested in today. But maybe they'll be interested in it tomorrow. You know, there's always it's always changing. Right. Now, the, uh, this podcast is heard worldwide. You launched rare patient voice in the United States. Uh, when and how did you begin to expand to other countries and what countries are involved now? So there's people out there listening to this podcast yeah. all over the world. Uh, who's uh, Who qualifies? Yeah, good question. So we, yeah, we started in the US. Um, then we, then we uh, expanded into Canada, figuring that's not uh, totally different. Obviously, there's, there's, French as well as English in Canada, but let, let's let's try Canada. And, and that's been great, though. I like to joke, Canada is a very big country, but not a lot of people live there. <laughs> <relative> <laughs> yeah. um, but our clients ba badgered us, if you will. They said, we love your, we always get these compliments. We love your patients. And we're like, what do you mean? They're real. They're, they're, they want to talk, you know, people love the, 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 the voices that they hear. They said, we love it, but we can't find those patients in Europe. Can you help and for years, I'm like, it's uh, business-wise, it's so e much easier to expand in the U.S. than to go into other countries. But eventually we said, okay, now it's time. We're going to do that. So we expanded in the, the what they call the big five in Europe, the countries, that the, the largest ones that people ask the most about. It's the United Kingdom, uh, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. So you got new languages there. So you have, we have to have websites with Italian, Spanish, and German. Um, people that speak that language for to deal with the patients uh, and that kind of thing with the client. So uh, over the last couple of years, we've done that. And so if we've got 100,000 or so in the US, we've got like 25,000 in Europe. So it's still small. We haven't been able to go to nearly the patient events because it's been COVID. We, st we started this during COVID. Right. Uh, and but But we've gotten great word of mouth. We work with so many advocacy groups, right? And so many of them 
uh, or either international, so they'll help us everywhere, or or even if they're U.S. based, they they partner, they know that they're, they're affiliated with a lot of the ones in other countries, and they spread the word for us. So that's and and, and patience, right? As you, just like people listen to your podcast all over the world, patience now. If they have a Facebook page, the internet doesn't stop it, right? It's all over the world, and so right. a lot of them have connections all over, and that really that really helps us out too. Do you foresee you expanding to other countries? Sure. I mean, I love to, we, 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 and I didn't mention, we also went to Australia and New Zealand. Now the numbers are very small. That was more a matter of, Hey, the English language website we have will work, will work in those countries. But uh, people do, there, there is a lot of demand uh, for, for, for India, for China, for Japan, for Brazil, for Mexico. So at some point we'll do that. It's um uh, one step at a time. That's where, okay. You know, so as I under, so what you just said, uh, our listeners in Australia, New Zealand, are they eligible? Yes. Sign right up. Sign right. Up. And even if you're not in the countries I mentioned, you can still sign up. We put you in a category. I hope this is, I don't mean this to be derogatory. We call it all other countries, <laughs> Okay. but over time, but, but what we just have to say, we may not be inviting you to many studies for a while because, you know, we haven't focused on other countries and the clients, you know, we don't have a lot of people there. won't be a lot of studies, but we're happy to let you join no matter where, what country you live in. Okay. So for everybody out there listening, uh, obviously the U.S., we have Canada, we have the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, Australia, New Zealand, and any other, other place, it's just that we may not have studies for you soon. Right. But we're right. happy to have you join. But if you want to sign up, sign up. Uh, what, Wes, what has surprised, what has most surprised you over the course of the past decade? I guess, so Hal, um, you know, when I, when I go to these patient events, I'm like, gee, if I were diagnosed with this or my kid was diagnosed with this disease, I don't know what I would do. And I'm seeing these people fighting it, coming to the events and doing things. And I'm like, I'm just amazed about the people's resilience. Then, then I think, well, they didn't just get diagnosed today. You know, they may have gone through that period and I'm seeing them a year later, whatever the case may be. But it's still amazing what people do. And, and even some people with, with they'll, they'll have a stage four cancer and they, they don't they may not have long to live. And they still participate because they think, hey, this is going to help other people. They're right. thinking of others. I used to say. I'm not going to bother somebody with stage four cancer. They've got something better to do with their time than do a survey. And, and I'm sure there's some people that feel that way, but be bad people say, no, 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 please, please, please wipe me. I want to take part. As long as I can, I want to take part. So that it's, it, that's, that's just amazed me. Uh, the, the strength of the people and their families. And you'll see a lot of um, parents, for example, of kids, their children have passed away. They still come to support the organizations um, they still say, can I sign up? I might have something to offer. So it, it's people, peop, you know, right. People are amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you're looking at a, a two-time uh, male breast cancer survivor yeah. and I've got lymphedema as well. So, yeah. you know, uh, you know, yeah. we're not giving up. We're, we're here helping people. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I've got a lot of uh, people in stage four that, uh, same way, you know, yeah. uh, they're, we're, 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 they're just going down fighting. They're going down. And, and, uh, and just, it's, it's amazing. The, the, the improvements that have been made in cancer in the last 10 years. Um, right. I mean, it's amazing yeah. what they've done with these new treatments. I like to think in 20 years, we'll look back and see how stupid we are now. Right. Because we'll have figured out so many more things. Yeah. 
where would you like to see rare patient voice 10 years from now? Ah, geez. Uh, certainly, hey, if we can be in more countries, if we can have more people. One of the things that we've just started doing, you mentioned at the very beginning, is uh, invite people to clinical trials. That's a new area for us because my background was market research and opinions. You know, we said we don't want your blood. Well, clinical trials are a whole different ballgame where a lot of people will not qualify for a clinical trial because a very specific uh, criteria they have, but it can save people's lives. And a lot of times people don't know about them. So if we can help spread the word about clinical trials and get people involved in them, and some trials don't happen because they don't get enough people. Can you imagine a you know, life-saving drug and, and, and it's delayed for years and years because the trial isn't there because we can't, you know, they, they, they're not on the prove a drug if it's not been tried. So, so we're going we're, we're gonna to expand in that area. Um, and we have been. So that's very exciting. And um, who knows? Everything that's happened has been a surprise to me. It looks it looked clear in hindsight, but I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know it was going to happen. Well, that sounds that sounds really amazing. We'll, we'll have to check back with you ten years from now. Yeah, exactly. See, 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 see what happens. Can you get? Can you give us a few examples of how rare patient voice has helped some of your enrolled patients or caregivers improve their lives? And also, on the flip side, help the researchers in their jobs. Yeah. Um, you know, I was thinking, I remember when we first started, um, and as I, you know, how I said, I started, especially in hemophilia, and there was a family in, uh, geez, somewhere in the West. I can't remember exactly now, but they didn't even have a computer. And they would walk like a mile or more to the library to do a survey on the computer there. And I got the most lovely note at Christmas time saying, hey, we were able to do a few studies. You made our Christmas. We have a couple little kids and we didn't have a penny. And we got a few hundred dollars here and there. And, and you really made it possible for us. Because you think, you know, you're giving a hundred dollars here or there. You know, for some people, that's the difference. Especially think about so many people that are dis disabled or on disability. Uh, or so often people give up a career, especially a mom will give up a career because her kid needs 24-7 care, or they have to move to be closer to some specialized hospital. Yeah. And so they've given up a lot of economic whatever. And so we're not, as I say, we're not making anybody rich. But $100 here there, I was amazed at how that can help some people, you know, get over, over the hump. So we get notes like that all, all the time from folks. So it's, it's, it's very re rewarding. You know, you know, it's funny. We never see the results of the study. So it's like, People, well, how did that study go? It's like, as I say, we don't see the answers. We don't know. But um, uh, I like uh, one of our uh, team members is an MS patient. And he did a study for a new type of cane. And he claims that his feedback changed that. Now, it probably was more than just his because they might not have done it if only one person. But he had a new way for them to do something. He He's sure that 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 uh, that he, he improved that uh for, for folks with them, or a lot of folks that need canes, not just those with MS. Uh, I, I I know in general, though, so many companies, they've figured out because of what the patients have said, yeah. you know, better how to how to explain things, how to word them, what, what, you know, what issues patients have. Because so many of our studies, it's when a drug is new, before it's out of them, you know, they're waiting for it to be approved and they're getting ready to market it. And they want to hear from patients based on a description, you know, they won't give them the name, you know, but they'll give them a description and they'll, what do they like? What don't they like? What would they discuss? What do they need more explanation about? And that helps them 
be better people because they market it in, in the right language, right? Don't use doctor language to patients. They don't understand that. It helps them explain it. It helps them emphasize the key points. It helps them get them over any hurdles that they might have about a side effect, whatever it might be. Um, it, it really helps them helps them do that. Now, for those out there, Wes, uh, with a dream of their own about starting a project, but are hesitant or told that it might not be possible, what yeah. advice can you offer them? Oh, I mean, as I said, I had to be forced, right? Um, don't be like me. Take a chance. Take a risk. It's easy to say that. and it's, But, you know, every, everything's a risk, right? Right. So try it. You can, and you can try things and maybe keep it low. Because even when I did it, we didn't have huge expenses. I didn't try to be big the first night. You know, it was just me doing things. And it's like, uh, let me, let me, let me build it slowly. So give it a try. Get, just get, you know, get started. Try it. That's, and once I got started, everything led, one thing led to another. I was wrong about a million and one things. Right. I didn't know whether or not I didn't know we needed non-rare. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know that we would get patients to refer other patients. I thought we'd have to go to all these. So many things happened that made it work out. Yeah. Um, so but you don't know until you start, you know, because the world will tell you and you but listen. Right. Listen to it and adjust. Right. Um, Just don't sit on the sideline thinking about it. Yeah, because you got to get off your butt and do it. Thank God nobody else did it in the meantime. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Again, let's go over that. Now, what what is the rate of pay for caregivers and patients who participate in the study? Okay, so it's based on 120 per hour. So a lot of times the phone interviews or Zoom interviews are an hour. So it's $120 uh, by check. If it's um, a survey, usually they're not that long, a 30-minute survey, that would be $60. So it's all based on that thing with a minimum of, I think, $25. Because even if it's a couple minutes, you figure, hey, you're giving your time and trouble and, and you're saying yeah. you, you get more than, you know, more than that amount. Okay, so for every everybody out there who wants to sign up with Rare Patient Voice, uh, you can sign up uh, through the podcast link and that's going to be listed in the podcast notes. Now, how much... Has Rare Patient Voice uh, paid out over the years? Yeah, so over $10 million. $10 million. Wow. $10 million to patients. So, um, and yeah, and it's growing because we, we're growing and every year it's, it, it's more. So yeah, every week we send out checks, fifty dollars to $100,000 in checks. So um, it's amazing. And it's, uh, and, you know, physicians do research and that's very important and they get paid a lot. Patients' opinions are important too. Patients should get paid. It's, and I say, you know, some people t- say, um, oh, I don't need to get paid for this. And I say, well, you know, I think it's important that patients get paid because if you're a pharmaceutical company, you're gonna, you pay more attention to what you pay for than what, what's free. And so they'll say, wait a minute, we pay these people. Let's listen to what they have to say. So I think there's a value even to the, 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 the pharmaceutical industry to have the patients paid. And it's certainly a value to the patients because they're, there, some people say, well, I don't have any expertise. Yes, you do. You, you, you are an expert in what you're doing. Nobody knows like you do, uh, you know, what you know. So, so yeah, you know, absolutely. People like, are willing like, to pay it. You know? Let's take lymphedema, for example, which yeah. I have, you know, if I can get a study and give my opinion, I mean, because I have a lot of opinions on yeah. it because who knows it better right. than, than the patient that has to deal with all this, uh, you know, contraptions and things that he, garments and all that stuff. And if you think about, if you're a marketing person for a biotech firm, 
you're going to, you have a lot of decisions to make, you know, how are you going to market it and how are you going to package it? And what are you going to sell it for? If you don't hear from the patient, you're going to make those decisions anyway. So you might as well hear from them and help make a better decision. Because if you just base it on yourself, you're not hanging out with the run of the mill patient. You're hanging out with other MBAs and some ivory town. That's right. That's right. not the real world. They need to hear what people, what people uh, are thinking and how they feel and how they talk and what they understand. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, sometimes I kind of uh, link it to uh, when you buy your kid a, a toy or something that you have to put together and, you, <laughs> and you're constantly going, who came up with this? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can't think only engineers are, I mean, Come on, guy. <laughs> only engineers are building this. It's like, no, regular parents are trying to do this. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think everybody's running into that. Wes, for those out there with questions about the program, what is the best way for them to contact Rare Patient Voice? Well, a couple. I I usually just think of my email, which is wes.michael at rarepatientvoice.com. But we do have a better one now. A contact, yeah, contact us at rarepatientvoice.com. That's a good one. Okay, contact. Know that there's very we have various you know emails to make it easy for people. And I can't remember. So. Okay, contact us. Contact at rare, us at rarepatientvoice.com. And yeah, you, you can put that you can put that in your notes. Okay, that'd be in the podcast notes yeah, yeah, for exactly. anybody uh, who has questions that we have not touched upon. And then our website, everything, all those emails, all the information we can think of. We have a whole list of the FAQs, the fairly you know frequently asked questions on our website, rarepatientvoice.com. So rare we're, we're happy if people call in with questions. I love it when people have questions. It means they're, you know, they're interested. Yeah, that's great. I want to thank you so much, Wes, for being here today and um, all the best going forward uh, with all your endeavors. Well, thanks, Ron. Really, it's a treat to be on with you and to share everything with your with your listeners all around the world. Yeah, it's great. For those out there who have comments and suggestions for the podcast, you can email me at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com. We have a website. It's a wrap with rap.com. All the episodes are on there. Uh, there's future podcasts on there and logo merchandise for sale, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we have a Facebook group. It's a wrap with rap. And we're on Instagram. It's a wrap with rap podcast. And all the podcast episodes are on our YouTube channel. It's a wrap with rap, the podcast uncut. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap. <laughs>